Welcome, welcome everyone to The Enthusiast Life. I am your host, Mark Turka, and I'm so glad each and every one of you have decided to make me a part of your week. Boy, does it feel good to be back. I'm sorry for the short, well, I say short, I mean, what's it been, two, three weeks uh, break here in the podcast. Just, you know, life happens between my kids and soccer games and play practice. Uh, as well as just producing two other podcasts. So if you're not aware, I also do MCU Rewatch and the Tardy Tardis. And uh, just work in life kind of got in the way. But I am back and making the commitment here to be back each and every week coming to you guys with a new episode. So I appreciate you, of course, for sticking with me. And uh, we're jumping into it. And what a week to be back. So much to talk about this week. So many things to be excited about. I know many of you out there are gamers. And you know there is one of the biggest gaming announcements this week. And I'm going to say maybe for this week, probably this year, if not for the last few years. This thing is going to be huge moving forward. Of course, I'm alluding to the Google Stadia. We're going to be talking about that. Uh, I got some impressions on Tom Clancy's The Division 2. I have been playing that, which I know a few episodes ago I was talking about not being interested in getting it. Come on. One of the biggest releases of the year. How could I not get it? So I've been playing that actually on the PC and having a good time. Uh, We got some Toe Jam and Earl talk. We're going to be talking about Captain Marvel. And I will say I will be spoiler free for Captain Marvel. So if you've not seen the movie yet, don't worry. Um, You can go listen to the MCU rewatch episode of that. I'll put that down in the show notes if you want to get the full spoiler discussion that myself, Swain, and Paris had, my co-hosts over there had on Captain Marvel. You can get that there. And at the end of the show, I'm going to be talking about, and this was pushed from some of you guys, my listeners, I'm going to be talking about One Piece, the uh, the manga slash anime that's out there. Some, some of you have uh, reached out to me with all my talk about Dragon Ball saying, you need to give One Piece a shot. Well, I did. And I hate you all because now I can't stop reading it. So we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. But let's kick it off, guys. Uh, first, of course, with a little bit of housekeeping. Don't forget, you can follow me personally on Twitter, which is probably the best way uh, to follow me, at Mark Turk. That's M-A-R-K-T-U-R-C. You can email the show at TheEnthusLife at Gmail. Uh, I'm sorry. You can email me at TheEnthusLife at Gmail.com. Or, of course, follow the show on Twitter, at The Enthused Life. But when it comes to Twitter, pretty much all that the the, the Enthused Life Twitter is is more me just putting out, hey, new episodes out. But if you want to know my thoughts and opinions on things kind of throughout the week, follow me on Twitter, at Mark Turk, M-E-R-K-T-U-R-C. Well, let's kick it off, guys, with Google Stadia. And uh, th- this announcement was kind of a long time coming. It was kind of the, the worst-kept secret, I think, in video games. And, you know, there were some folks that I know that got the ability to play the beta that Google announced for this back in, well, didn't announce, but they released back when Assassin's Creed Odyssey came out. This was back, what, in October? And basically, if you got into their beta program, you got access to Assassin's Creed Odyssey. They were basically saying, here you go, play play this brand new game that came out. Give us your thoughts. We just want some feedback on uh, on what the game is and or on just how, how it plays. And all the feedback that I had been hearing over the last few months was that, this thing works. The, 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 the fact that you're streaming Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Now, granted, it was only in 1080p. I don't think they had the ability to play it in 4K. Um, but people were saying the, the lag was pretty much seamless. And up until Google Stadia, streaming games was you had PlayStation Now, which was PlayStation's version of it, which essentially they had purchased a company called Gaikai years ago and use their technology. Um, and then prior to that, years ago, I had a, uh, um, back when one of the old podcasts that I used to do, uh, we had somebody from the company on live on that show and they sent us out kind of the, the little kit and on live was very similar to kind of what Google Stadia is going to be. It was the ability to play these games and stream them. But back then, I mean, we're talking 2010, 2011, the infrastructure for streaming games just really wasn't there. And I remember it was right when uh, Batman Arkham City had come out. That was kind of when on live... Uh, launched and I try. I remember playing the early portions of that game through on live and through they had like this little console and almost looked like um like the uh, the Valve Shield basically or whatever they call it the the Valve thing that's out where you can stream your PC games to your TV it looked like that just like this little box almost like an Apple TV and it worked okay but it still had little too much lag so if you were playing a game that wasn't really dependent on like Twitch shooting or anything like that it worked for what it could but it just still wasn't exactly the the way that you would want it to be well fast forward now obviously to to today uh or this week and google announced and and i'm obviously i haven't even said really what it is but google stadia is google's entry into the gaming space and it is completely 
cloud streaming based. So the idea is rather than you go out and buy a box or a console or a PC or hell even a tablet, you're not going to download these games. These are going to run specifically through Google Chrome. So you're able to just play any game anywhere. Now, Google is willing to sell you a controller, which we'll talk about the controller in a little bit for you to use, but you can also just use any controller that you have. So use, if you're, you know, you have an Xbox One, or you know an Xbox One controller for a PC, or hell, even a 360 controller. Plug that into your PC, open up Google Chrome, you're able to play these games by streaming directly to your PC. Now, the interesting thing um, that they're doing is that you know, you're gonna basically, well, they haven't really talked about pricing yet. So we that's that I think is one of the biggest takeaways from this. And again, this is at the Game Developers Conference at GDC. So the fact that they haven't been talking pricing, I think is really just because it was at GDC. Here they wanted to talk to developers and say, hey, here's the tech that we have but the idea is you're able to just play these games on any device that you can essentially hook your controller whatever controller it is up to now they didn't even go into whether or not you would need a controller because theoretically some games kind of like what playstation just launched here this past week where you can stream your playstation to your phone with on-screen buttons they may allow you to do that to some extent but you know this idea of being able to just buy a game and have immediate access from any device is super, super exciting. Now, if anybody can pull it off, it's got to be Google, right? They have servers and shards all over the world that they're going to be able to just tap into and have all the games running in those servers and stream directly to you. Now, the, the other thing that they were talking about, which is kind of interesting when he said it, but essentially... Google Stadia is more powerful than an Xbox One and PlayStation 4 combined because theoretically, and he even said it, is they're going to open up to developers and just say, use all the GPU you need. Use whatever you want your game to be. So as a developer, imagine just being given the keys to the kingdom and saying, you know, whatever game you're building, the sky is the limit. You don't need to worry about can our game run on a current gen console? Can my game run on a iPhone 8 or an iPhone X? You don't need to worry about that anymore because Google's gonna handle all that. You just build your game and as long as it can run, it's just gonna work, which is just mind-blowing to think. I mean, it almost, I don't wanna say it gets rid of quality control or QA you know, from a development side, but it alleviates a lot of that rather than like, let's take for example, Anthem just came out. How many issues has Anthem had on multiple platforms? You don't need to worry about that anymore because you only need to make Anthem for one platform and it's just going to work on everything because in you know with the idea of Stadia, it is working on the Google servers and as long as you build it to you work on the Google servers, it's going to work there. I mean, another thing I didn't think about and I saw some chatter online is when it comes to updating games. So let's say that Anthem comes out, there's an issue, they push an update out as a player we don't need to sit there and watch the update download and wait. It's already on the servers. It's already rolling. All it takes is the developer to upload it themselves. And then you just play the new update and it's ready to go. Now, the other side of this too, that I think I, I just didn't really put it together in my head. I just, my, my baseline for streaming video games always has been on live. And that was just with my relationship with the company on live back in the day when, with the old video game podcasts that we did. Um, I just have always thought of streaming games kind of from that sense. But when you take a look at Google doing it and you look at the assets that they have like YouTube, I, I mean, I didn't even really consider how they were going to be able to leverage what you, the potential of what YouTube can do with gaming with Stadia. So the idea that they showed is you're going to be able to go onto YouTube, you watch a game trailer, at the end of the trailer, you just hit play. And within as little as five seconds, you're playing the game. That's crazy. Like, if you think about it, like, like you know, we, we always joke, like, when Nintendo does their big Nintendo Directs, and it's like, hey, here's this game, and it's available now. Like, right now, people go on, you got to download the game, which, yes, first world problem, right? You got to download the video game. I mean, it's kind of silly to say that. You got to wait, oh, no, 30 minutes to play the video game. But in a world now, they could do that, and right, at, right in there, it just pops up on the screen and says, play now, you click it, you're playing. That's pretty wild. And, and and also on top of that, because these games are running on uh, their servers, they're also able to do things where, you know, as a developer, you could, let's say, put up a demo where it's like, hey, we want people to start at this point and end at this point because everything's going to be basically handled in the cloud and saved over there. They could send you a customized link 
that you click and you're playing that bite-sized portion of the game. Or, I mean, really what they showed was for streamers, people streaming to YouTube, a streamer would be able to say like, hey, check out this race I just did in this race racing game. Beat, try and beat my time. And they put out a customized link that that person creates where people watch them on YouTube and they put it out to their thousands of followers and all those followers are able to click it and it brings them to the point, that specific point in that game and they're each able to give it a shot and try. That's pretty wild when you think about it. Like it, it totally just changes the way we think about games. I mean, it really changes the way game development, I, I would think, is going to move going forward because now you have the ability to like I said, when it comes to demos, you don't need to build a, a customized demo per se anymore. You can go in and just create certain points within your game and say, that's a demo, go. I mean, imagine watching an, an E3 press conference for Ubisoft and Ubisoft says, hey, here's the game. It's available now on the show floor, but also for all of you watching at home, just hit play right now in the bottom corner and we're going to give you 10 minutes of play from a slice that we picked from the game that we want you to experience. That's That to me is the future. It's crazy, right? When you think about it, it's wild. Now, what they also showed, like I said, is, is because it is really kind of platform agnostic, there really is no platform per se outside of just having to download Chrome and basically anything that can run Chrome. I mean, if your toaster can run Chrome, you're probably going to be able to play Stadia on your coaster or on your toaster, but they are willing to sell you a controller. Now, the interesting thing about the controller is, and when you look at it, it looks like what you would think a new standard controller is. It's got pretty much all the buttons. You got your bumper buttons, your triggers, uh, your face buttons, your D-pad. It has a share button, which I think that's going to be the interesting thing. That's where you're going to be able to create your links. You're going to be able to stream. You're going to be able to do your clips, kind of like what it does right now on the PlayStation. So they're pretty much using that same, uh, same idea. But the interesting thing, because let, let's face it, when it comes to streaming video games, the biggest question is, what is the lag, right? I mean, like I said, on live, very laggy. Google thinks they've solved it. One of the ways they mentioned that they kind of solved it, and I, I never really thought of this, um, of course, because I'm not a game, I'm not somebody trying to build a platform to stream video games, but this idea that your controller isn't actually connecting to the device, it's connecting via Wi-Fi. So this Google controller, if you decide to play on your phone, let's say you log into your, your web page, let's say where your games are, and your controller is just connected to the Wi-Fi of your house, so you're just playing on that. So it's not connecting to the device. And then you may say, okay, well, I don't want to play on my phone anymore. I want to go play on my big TV on my Chromecast or maybe on my PC. You take your controller, go in the other room, log to that web page or wherever you are. The controller is still connected, but it's not connected to your phone. It's always just been connected to the Wi-Fi. And I mean, theoretically, you could have five screens going at once because really the controller is just controlling the gameplay on the Google server. And then you have your TV, your phone, your tablet, all these things going and you can watch it on all these different screens, but it's the one controller doing it. I mean, the other thing they talked about was the ability to hand off the game. So streamers could hand off the game or, or anybody. You could hand off to your friend and let them play. And all they're doing is connecting their controller via Wi-Fi, not necessarily to your device. And it's working. So that's not only getting rid of lag, because if you think about it, like with something like on live or even PlayStation now, like the controller connects to the system and then the system connects to the server and then the server sends back the feedback to this. And so you, you kind of have this long path where with the controller being connected via Wi-Fi, it has nothing to do with the platform you're playing the game on. It's connected directly to the server. So that in itself cuts down on the lag. So they also announced that this thing is going to be launching with HDR support, 60 FPS and 4K resolutions with the potential of getting up to 120 frames, 8K. That's bonkers. Now, when you even just look at that alone, obviously, internet speeds come into play here. Now, people that played this beta version of Assassin's Creed Odyssey that I have spoken to and kind of just reading some people online, it was in 1080p. And people that were playing even around like 40 megabytes down said that it worked fairly well at that point that you almost couldn't perceive it that it was definitely playable and good to go so someone like me who i have just just by sheer luck it's not really that we pay any extra just the neighborhood we live in we we have the ability to get one gig up one gig down i have that in my house it's fantastic right so for me this service is going to be amazing the concern is for people out in, you know, areas where the infrastructure isn't so well like you know when you start getting rural into those areas 
how is this going to work? And who, it, it, will they have a, a bad experience? Google is basically saying no. Like they think that they've solved the issue and part of it could maybe be the, the fact that that controller co connects to Wi-Fi. I don't think a lot of people are looking at that. I really think that that is one of the keys to making this service work much better because that's just one less thing in the pipeline in terms of the the uh, actual visuals of what you're seeing on screen. Um, so, you know, we'll see if, if they're able to pull that off. And if that lag really isn't there, man, like the potential for that is is just amazing. And then the other thing to look at is we're now, we're, we're just a few years away, away from 5G mobile networks being the norm. I mean, we, you've already, if you watch, watch TV and you've seen commercials for, uh, I forget which phone it is, a Samsung or somebody's, somebody's putting it out there right now, that 5G phone that you keep seeing, like it's the first 5G phone. That's the future. Like we're, we're there and 5G is just insanely fast. And that's what Google wants you doing. They want you essentially using your 5G phone to play Stadia on the go. So as a gamer in a perfect world, the ability, I mean, it almost actually taps into kind of like what the Switch does. The ability to start a game playing at home. Like I've always brought up my scenario. I, I get up early in the morning to play my video games. That's just 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 my routine. That's how it works for me in my life with my, my full-time job, kids, trying to be a dad, all that stuff, podcasting, getting up early in the morning to play my video games. That's what I do. So I get up in the morning on my Switch, like when Zelda came out. Playing Zelda on my, on my TV looks great, playing with the, the Pro Controller. I was able to put that thing to sleep, go to work, go on my lunch break, quickly eat lunch and play for about 40 minutes of straight Zelda, literally right where I left off. It wasn't turning on the system, going, loading my save, all that. No, it was like, I, I put it to sleep right now. I'm able to turn it right back on. That's the future the Stadia is tapping into. And it's it's not going to be, let me lug around this switch, which I mean, come on, how, how much is a switch? I mean, I carry a backpack to work every day. I just throw it in there. But the ability to pull out of my pocket and start playing immediately, which of course you want a controller. I'm probably always going to play with a controller. On-screen controls are garbage, but you're able to just tap in and just start playing right where you left off and then put it to sleep and then come home and, and pick up right where you left off again. I mean, that future is just amazing to be able to do that. That That is, and I mean, even I say the, the on-screen controls are garbage. Think about how many people, I mean, I know many of you listening to this are, are here because of Guardian Radio, because of Destiny. What if you were able to you know, you're on vacation. I mean, I, I remember we don't see it so much anymore because Zur, the character in Destiny who brings the exclusive items every week, isn't really that much of a, uh, uh, it doesn't have as much of an impact on the game anymore. But in the original Destiny, he would bring some exotic pieces of armor or weapons that you wouldn't see for a long time. So like the one everybody always goes to is the Gallarhorn in Destiny. What if you were on vacation? And you were unable to get to your PlayStation. You couldn't get any of your friends to log in to buy it for you. And you were going to miss out on the second time ever that he was going to sell the Gallahorn. You never had a drop in the game. You could just pull up your phone. And even though, yeah, it's a first-person shooter. And yeah, even though you're even still at this point, you're running on 4G. So it's not the best. You could at least log into that game. Go to, go to where you need to go in the game and just buy that and get that done. As, as simple of a little task as that is, as a gamer, the ability to be able to do that is super exciting and super cool. So I think that Stadia, just for that aspect alone, the, the play what you want anywhere is going to be huge. I think the biggest questions are now to kind of scale back a little bit of the excitement and I guess more of the concern is, of course, uh, the pricing. Pricing is going to be an issue. I mean, rumored leading up to this, there was the rumor that they were going to have some sort of a subscription-based model where you just kind of get access to everything. Um, of course, we have no pricing yet. It wouldn't surprise me if they, or it would surprise me if they don't offer that. There needs, I think there needs to be something like that, especially with Microsoft's big push, because, hey, we're going to be talking about streaming games here probably in the next month or two, if not by E3, when it comes to Microsoft. They've already been out there talking about streaming games. Um, and so we will be talking about what their pricing and all that is. I mean, the theory there is like, hey, if you pay for Game Pass, all those games are going to be streamable on a Microsoft or on whatever the X Cloud or whatever it is that they're calling it. And so, it, they, I mean, it's one thing that I think Google just needs to do that. I mean, we're we're at a we're at a point now where everybody just streams everything: movies, television, uh, music, everything. And that, that's the other concern that I have. And and when it comes to video games. You know, the the idea of going out and buying a video game has been there forever, right? For 30 years. I mean, this is as a gamer, as a lifelong gamer, that's what you do. New game comes out, you go to the midnight release or you go to the store and buy it. You, you save up your money and you go do it. 
over the last few years, digital games have bled pretty much into everything, just like everything else, movies, uh, music, you know, everything that I just said. We, we've all kind of gotten to the point where giving up the idea of owning that physical piece of media is okay, that we're okay with just the digital side of things, the digital life. I mean, we're in it now. You know, it's funny when you look back when Microsoft announced that the Xbox One was originally going to be not online or, or online all the time and people freaked out saying you wouldn't be able to get um, used games. We're there now. Like, th that's where we are. I mean, the rumors that Microsoft's going to put out a discless Xbox One in the, in the next few months. We're there. You know, we're here. And Stadia is just the, the complete extreme of that, right? You don't even need a, a console or a platform. It's it's everything you already own. And so there's that part of me that wonders, all right, well, if we're not buying physical media, which personally, I, I've kind of gotten to that point now. I just buy games digitally. And really, it's more just the convenience of me just not feeling, <laughs> as silly as it is, I just don't feel like going to the store to buy a game anymore. I just, I just download it because I want to play it as soon as I can. Um, but this idea of not really owning games anymore, like what happens if Stadia shuts down? All these games are gone. And... You know, it's one thing like we're hearing the rumors about Microsoft saying we're going to offer games to be able to stream, but coupled in with that rumor, there's still this idea of, but we would still, the, you know, this idea that Microsoft still will be willing to sell you a $500 box if you want. And you can buy the games if you want, but you can also stream it. So, like, with that still being there, that's cool. But with Stadia, this idea that it's just kind of throwing everything out the window. Now, who's to say, you know, games that come out on Stadia, I'm sure, like, let's say Assassin's Creed, Ubisoft, those games are going to come out on platforms as well, physical platforms too. So there would always be those versions of it. But if you buy it on Stadia, you wouldn't get it, you know, on, on that other one because you owned it on Stadia. You didn't own it on this. So it's going to be interesting. Like, And that's what makes me wonder, like, if Stadia is just going to be a subscription-based model. I don't know, you know, I mean, it, it would be neat if they did go like the Microsoft route where, hey, here's the pass, you get all these games, when you stop paying, you lose it, but we would always be willing to still sell you the game, because that's how Game Pass is, you want Halo 5, you can, you can get Game Pass, 10 bucks a month, you got it, but you want to own it, you don't want Game Pass anymore, we'll sell it to you as well, like that's probably, I think, where Stadia will end up, um, but again, if you buy access to that game, and that service shuts down, you lose it. You know, and then the other side is it is it's just the fact that it's Google. I mean, Google knows everything about us. Now they're going to know every single one of our gaming habits. You know, they I have a Gmail account. I mean, this show has a Gmail account. Everything we do is based around Google. They've tapped into so many aspects of our lives. And now they're going to know all our gaming habits. Anything you do in these games, because it's all run on their servers, they're going to be able to see it. There's no point with Google Stadia that you will be able to play offline. Now, does that matter? Not really, right? I mean, you know, think of how many games you log into and it was just like, would you like to send, you know, your gaming habits to Sony or whatever? Would you like to do this? And they always make you kind of check that box and say yes. And really all, it's not really doing much. It's just giving the developers feedback as to things that you did in the game. Now, I don't even think that's going to be a choice because you're you're not even gonna, you're, you're just online. You know, they're able to see that. So it's a weird weird future when you kind of come at it from that angle but I gotta be honest I, I think I'm there you know I think I'm ready I think I'm I'm willing to um, just to embrace embrace this digital future that we're in when it comes to gaming and part of it is just because of the convenience of being able to play anywhere at any time um, it's super cool but again I think the biggest question of course for everyone really is what is the latency? What is the lag going to be like? You know, is like with OnLive or, or even PlayStation Now, it's always been, if you're playing like a third person action game, you're probably okay playing it. But when it comes to like a Call of Duty Twitch shooter, don't bother. It's a waste of your time. And I think if they're able to actually get the tech right and get over that hump, man, I mean, that that's that's a, a very, very cool thing. And, and I think E3 is really going to be the big coming out. I mean, they said this summer they're going to have more details. Um, as far as I know, I don't think they've announced that they're going to be at E3, but they, I mean, they got to have something coming up. And then maybe E3 is in the place. I mean, E3 is kind of just going by the wayside as it is. So they honestly would probably be smarter now the more I think about it for them to kind of have their own standalone event. But I think at E3, you're going to start seeing, especially Ubisoft. I mean, they showed all those developers that have made a commitment uh, to the platform. Um, you know, I think we're going to start seeing now those things where it's like, Hey, you know, here's the new call of duty or whatever it is. And here's all the platforms it's coming to Stadia is going to be one of those icons. Now you're going to see because that's just, that's wow. So 
I don't know. I mean, I think if anybody's going to be affected by this the most, it's, it's Sony because Microsoft's already pushing this way. They have a great relationship with Nintendo. Nintendo's on board. And, and Nintendo, the way their, their uh, mindset's been, I'm sure Stadia will come onto the Switch because why not, right? If Microsoft can do it, Stadia may be able to do it unless there's some payment where Microsoft's saying, no, we don't want you to allow it on. Because really, those are the two competitors that I see here, Stadia and, and Microsoft, when it comes to the streaming video games. That's it. Sony, PlayStation Now, sorry guys, you're, you're just thrown by the wayside because with those two powerhouses of Google and Microsoft with just the backing and the infrastructure that they both already have, th there's just no way I think Sony can compete um, with either one of them. So we'll see. Exciting times, guys. Exciting times in the world of video games. Crazy. Let's keep it on the uh, video game news front before we get into what I've been playing here. And I want to talk a little bit about this new uh, Nintendo Nindies stream that happened the other day. And I'm not going to go too deep into everything, but a couple big things to come out of that. Number one, Cuphead, which was a Microsoft Xbox exclusive title, is coming to the Switch. Uh, it's going to be launching on April 18th. If you're not familiar with Cuphead, it is a hardcore, I'm not going to say shmup. And Shmup is like a shooter beat-em-up type game, uh, but it is very Twitch-based. It is an awesome platformer and just one of the most incredible styles um, of any video game. It looks like an old, like, what do you want to say, like a 1930s cartoon. Every character is very, very stylized. It has this film grain aesthetic over it. Uh, we have it here at our, my son has it on the, on the mic or on the Xbox. Uh, he came home from school one day, really, really wanted the game. And I kept telling him like, are you sure you want it? Like I had really been wanting to play it. And at the time I didn't have my Xbox one. Um, and I was like, you sure, man, like you really think you're going to be good. It's really hard. He watched some videos. He's like, no, 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 no. The kids are talking about it at school. No joke. Within like 20 minutes, he's like slamming the controller down, screaming and crying. I'm like, man, come on, like let's let's sit down and go through this. And um, so I've I've only dabbled with him, kind of like he would play a level, die a bunch of times, and I would play and beat a level for him. So I have never really committed myself to playing Cuphead. It's one game that I definitely have always wanted to do. I was kind of hoping they would put it on Game Pass. I mean, essentially, I could go downstairs in our basement and play it on his Xbox, but I just never have. But the fact that it's coming to the Switch, uh, it's pretty exciting. I think I'm definitely going to jump in and get it on the. Switch. Switch. My only concern with the Switch is, I don't know how many people out there have had this issue, but when it comes to just using the little analog nubs, sometimes for these very uh, Twitch-based platformers, like I had some issues when it came to Celeste. Celeste was a game that just, when it came to the platforming and, and pushing in like the, the upper right and that, and maybe it's just because of my stick itself had some issues, but it just, sometimes I felt like I was falling or dying or not jumping properly like I wanted it to. And it was really just the fault of the little stick, which I'm sure every gamer can blame the controller and not blame themselves. <laughs> but it just it just seemed like that was the case. Um, so Cuphead, that's the only thing that kind of concerns me with it on the Switch, but still going to be jumping in for, on it for sure. And uh, we will definitely be um, rocking that here in the house. I know. Um, if anything, I want to try to get my wife to play it. She never played it when my son had it on the Xbox. And uh, they're doing some other neat things with it. I think they're, you're going to be able to customize characters. There's some new customization coming with that. And the cool thing is, it is going to connect to Xbox Live. So there was, of course, that big rumor about the Live coming to the Switch. Well, I think it was already, you are already able to log into Xbox Live through uh, Rocket League. And now you're going to be able to do this through uh, through uh, the Switch. And I think it's even coming with achievements too. So you're gonna be able to get your Xbox achievements uh, through the Switch version of Cuphead. So very, very cool. Uh, a couple other just little things that they showed off before we get to the, obviously the big one, which I'm sure most of you know what that is. Uh, that is a new game called Red Lantern, which looked very neat. It was um, almost like this adventure game uh, where you're kind of riding on a, on a dog sled and kind of defending these dogs. We see dogs get attacked by a bear. Almost had a Firewatch feel to it, um, to me when I kind of saw it. So that looks pretty neat. I'm probably going to be interested in, in checking that out. Uh, and then another one that got me pretty excited was the new Double Fine game. And it's a post-apocalyptic roguelike called Rad. Every game that Double Fine puts out always is just new, is fresh, has a different aesthetic. And every game they make just has this like just fun charm to it. Uh, but Rad looks very, very cool. I mean, being post-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic, it's not necessarily, you know, this fun, neat charm, but you could tell there's a neat little aspect uh, that they are going to put in there. I'm sure that's going to be endearing and get people to want to play it. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, they did announce the Stranger Things 3, the game, giving it an official launch date. Uh, it's going to be launching right alongside the third season of the show on July 4th. 
Uh, so that's pretty cool. We'll see kind of how that goes. I mean, I, honestly, I love Stranger Things, and I know we'll be talking about it on the show when I, when the series comes out. Uh, but in terms of the game, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I had my fill of the Friday the 13th video game on the NES back in the day, which I know it's not that, but um, I don't know. We'll see. I'm sure it'll be interesting uh, to see when it comes out. But then, of course, the big one, the big thing that completely blew me away and shocked me to no end is that Cadence of Hyrule is launching. And Cadence of Hyrule is basically Crypt of the Necrodancer featuring The Legend of Zelda. And if you've never heard of Crypt of the Necrodancer, uh, it's a very cool game. It's available on Steam. might be on some other platforms. And it's essentially like a dungeon crawler, but it, and it was kind of like 8-bit sprites. Um, but it just had a very cool soundtrack. And the soundtrack was just always pounding like... Doo, doo like a techno beat i mean that's why it's kind of like necro dancer is what it was because you're literally as your players moving like rather than just move and walk to the right they're jumping to the beat of the music and every time you swing your sword and all of that you're doing it to the beat of the music so the whole time you're playing it, you're probably practically just bobbing your head so to have a game built in the zelda style i mean it, it shows like an overworld it looks like an old like a link to the past game. I mean, the the sprites look 16-bit. I mean, you could tell there's a little bit more to it than just an old 16-bit game. Uh, but it's Zelda. You see Link. You see like a female Link in there, and they're fighting uh, all the Zelda characters and villains. Uh, it just it looks so cool. And you hear the Zelda theme going to this pounding techno beat. It's gonna be huge. And they didn't give a release date, but they did say spring. 2019 so we're we're hey spring's ending soon if you ask me we're about a month and a half away so this game hopefully will be coming out soon but to me what shocked me the most is they basically put it in the hands of the crypt of the necrodancer team gave it to them uh the developers called brace yourself games and said hey build a zelda game you know the fact of them kind of putting that out there to an indie studio not as you know they've they've done things where they give it to some of these triple a games to some bigger studios but this is an indie studio um let's let's just uh man so cool uh that nintendo's doing that and we're getting more zelda this year so that'll be two zelda games that we know of at least this year right with uh the the remake coming in the fall so uh very very cool super exciting to see that and uh nintendo just continuing to kill i mean there's a bunch of other games that i could go into but check out that indie stream is like a 30 minute stream if you haven't seen it um the switch is just becoming the indie video game platform of choice for uh, so many people to play because you can play these games on the go you know a lot of these games are bite-sized chunk video games that you're not going to sit down and play for seven eight hours at a pop and it's just it just works so well i think nintendo is crushing it. and the fact that they're doubling down by putting one of their major franchises and ta- you know basically saying hey make that type of game but using zelda you know is so so cool i think that they're doing that uh, but speaking of video games that they want you to play for a long time, this is on the complete opposite side of an indie game, and that is Tom Clancy's The Division 2. That's right, this game launched. It is a beast of a video game. And I know I was on this very show saying that The Division really wasn't for me. I remember talking about how Anthem was so much. But just, you know what, when you look at what Ubisoft is doing with this video game, the amount of content, the amount of just stuff they're putting in there that's going to be coming for free and everything i mean you can't help but give them kudos and say they really took the time they took a step back looked at this whole just genre of looter shooters that are out there and said okay these games need to have this 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 we need to have this steady flow of content we need to give players these things to do and they just did it with the Division Two, and and I played again um, in one of the the final beta that came out, and I actually did enjoy it a lot more. I kind of approached it from the angle of it's not that shooter, and I, I've always tried that before, but I played some mouse and keyboard, and playing it that way just made it feel a little bit different to me than the shooter because I don't usually play shooters with a mouse and keyboard. Um, so I I just I took that leap and I I went in, and I'm enjoying it so far. I mean I'm playing it on PC. And it looks gorgeous, obviously. Um, it sounds great. It, the, I love the locale. I mean, it really makes me feel kind of going back to like just the days of Fallout 3 and how I loved going to DC and seeing it kind of in that state. It was just very surreal and just, you know, as an American, it's just kind of creepy to go into that location that you know it's so iconic and see it that way. And that's kind of the Division 2 just kind of taps into that for me, where you're able to walk on the mall and, and go to 
you know, the Washington Monument and see it. And it just, it's shattered. And it's just very, very cool um, to see that. Now, I will say in terms of the story, I kind of, I tried to jump in and, and really focus on it and follow it. And it did, you know, I, I was in it, but then now I'm kind of at the point where it's like, okay, who do I got to go shoot next? What do I got to do there? And and the game does kind of div- divulge into that eventually where it's just kind of like you f- almost feel like you're kind of doing the same thing. Um, but there have been some moments where it's, it's not necessarily that you're doing the same thing. It's going to these different locations doing that thing. And to me, that's what really the appeal of the game has been. You're, you're going to mu- the Air and Space Museum or you're going, like I said, to the Washington Monument. You're going to these different areas. And it's very cool to do the shooting and the cover mechanics in those locales. And um, the AI is great. The way that they try to flank you, they're always trying to push you out of that cover. Um, they really just did a great job of making the game like constantly feel dangerous. The world of the division two is dangerous. You never really feel safe. And couple on layered on top of that is just the dynamic weather system in the game. I mean, there's moments where you're like, all right, we're going to go. We're going to leave the, leave my base of operations, which is the white house. I'm going to walk out and you walk out and there's a huge thunderstorm happening and your character reacts to that. I mean, they kind of put their hand up as if they're kind of blocking the rain, like they can't see there's, you know, some of the big thunderstorms, it's so rainy, you can't even almost see through the rain or some, sometimes it's so foggy, it'll be like morning and it's just a foggy morning. You can't see the enemies. And so you're, you just never know what you're going to walk into in this game. Um, even some of the people patrolling, like before in the division one, it just seemed like they were just kind of there patrolling for no reason. They almost have a reason for doing what they're doing. I mean, it'll tell you patrolling, uh, you know, going they're, they're going to this settlement or they're going here. And if you listen and walk with them, they'll have uh, different conversations and they'll kind of comment on the fact that there's a division agent walking amongst them. So there are really, really neat little touches like that that they've done to the video game. Uh, the fact that the PvP, I ju- jumped into the PvP and actually enjoyed it. I'm not talking Dark Zone. I'm talking Conflict, which is more just this cover-based shooter PvP mode really neat layering on top of that all the skills and abilities that you have as a division agent and then putting you into this pvp setting is really neat now it normalizes everything so you don't need to worry about someone being a level 30 and you being a level 12 it makes all the damage and all that just kind of equal um it's really really cool which brings up a great point too of just the normalization you can play with anybody at any time when i first fired up I was a little bit worried because I had a couple friends that were playing and they were level like 26 or whatever. They had the time to play, we're playing a bunch, and I was like level 12. And I'm like, man, I really want to play with them, but I'm just going to hinder them or they'll have to come back down and play my missions. Doesn't matter. Just join up with them. It puts me immediately up to level 26 where they are. They did actually put out an update this week or will be putting out an update, but they they did comment on it that they have realized that the NPCs will still do a heck of a lot of damage to somebody that does get normalized because that's what we were noticing. Like, my armor and stuff would melt fast. Even though it said I was level 26 and I was able to do the damage to the enemies, they were just crushing me. They did say there isn't a bug where the damage, the damage that they were doing to me was more than it should have been. That it was that actually wasn't normalizing like it should. Um, so they are going to fix that. But it's cool. You can just play with your friends. Just play. Just play the game. Do what you want to do. Explore this world. Which, exploring the world is great. No matter where you go, you're going to find something in the world that's neat. You're... You just you always feel like you're progressing because you see that little tick of the number go up. You you are always finding new weapons or new um, armor piece. I say armor, but it's more like a new vest, a new boots, new gloves. But they're all adding to these stats that are you know better critical shots, more damage to elites, better stability on weapons. All of that is in this game, and you just constantly feel like you're tooling and tweaking your character to just optimize your your play more. It's just, a, it's just a lot of fun. They completely nailed it. It is, it is honestly, I saw, um, what's his name? Uh, Paul Tassi from Forbes put out an article and it's it's so right. He's like, it is the most polished, most complete looter shooter we've had, I'm probably going to say ever. One of these online shared world shooters never had a game launch in the state that the Division 2 is. Like, they just completely knocked it out of the park now for some people again the shooting in that may not be for you you just you need to get rid of that part of your brain that looks at it as you know that that you just think it's a shooter like if you play ghost recon wildlands which is of course that is another tom clancy game and you jump to the division and just you're so used to those headshots that i get on those soldiers they drop because wildlands is a straight up military shooter like you know 
that's not this. This is very much an RPG. So that guy that you would drop in one shot in Wildlands, you may he may be a bullet sponge in the division. And I don't care what anybody says. They're, they're trying to say like, oh, they really decreased the bullet sponges. Kind of. But the more you play the game, you kind of see that they didn't. I was on a mission last night. It, it was, um, I think it was a level 16 mission. And we were fighting the boss at the end of the mission. And I had some guys actually that normalized up to me because I was actually level 16. And I mean, it just went on and went on and went on. I mean, the cool thing they did is they made it now at least make sense where they're actually wearing armor. You physically see the armor and the armor breaks and then you can do the damage to them. And so that's cool. They did it that way. It's not just a green hoodie that the guy's wearing that you're punching bullets into. Um, But if you kind of just get rid of that, um, you know, uh, get that part of your brain out there, your shooter mentality, you're still able to go in, have a lot of fun. And especially when you're playing with friends, it's a blast. And, and the Dark Zone, even even the Dark Zone, they've done some stuff to that where it normalizes everything unless it's an invaded Dark Zone, which is kind of that old school extreme Dark Zone. But there's three of them now. They all look different. I mean, I was I know a lot of people were a little bit hesitant thinking they were leaving New York and coming to Washington, D.C. and that it was no longer going to be winter. It's the best thing they did for the game because there are so many different biomes in this game, so many different locales that you go to that look so different and then like i said you layer on top of that the weather aspect it man i don't know what kind of magic they do over at ubisoft but their environments look incredible the amount of artists and art things that you see in this game like a can on the ground and a garbage trash heap you can walk up to and zoom on and there's straight up writing on that like the nutrient ingredients you know the, the nutrition facts are on that can it's crazy what they did with this game. So I'm enjoying it, having a good time. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I, I highly recommend it. I think I don't know if you would find a, a game that is more worth the value proposition. I mean, it's it. I hate always doing that, putting value on like time spent playing or the amount of content you're going to get. Because I always go back to that analogy of a game like Journey that only lasts about two hours. To me, would be well worth a $60 game because just... The experience you get from that game is incredible. But for $60 with The Division, if you can buy one game this year and you're looking for a game to last you a long time, especially if you have friends playing it, this is the game. This is the game you're gonna be you need to be buying because it's it's just awesome. You know, you look at a game like Anthem, and as much as I love the gameplay of Anthem, just got old after a while. And I know it's gonna get better and they're gonna work on it, but it's nice to have a game come out and I don't need to wait or I don't need to worry about it getting better. It just is. It just is better than every other game out there. You know, that's the thing. It's not going to get better. It's just better than every other game out there, which is kind of weird to say, but it's the truth. You know, where we live in a state, we don't get games like that, especially these games as a service games. So it's cool to have that out there. A couple quick hits on other games I've been playing. Toe Jam and Earl, Back in the Groove I've been playing. Uh, This came from Human Nature Studios. It is a kickstarted game. If you've never played Toe Jam and Earl, then you're probably not as old as me. Or uh, were you a Nintendo kid and not a Sega kid? Um, and even though I was always a Nintendo guy and still have always been my whole life, I did have a Sega Genesis. And Toe Jam and Earl was one of my favorite games on that platform. Toe Jam and Earl was a uh, basically like an action. Um, I don't want to say RPG. It's kind of like an over-the-top isometric game where you play these two aliens, Toe Jam and Earl. And it's a very, very 90s game. It just had these funky beats and just this crazy just outlandish humor and the idea is it it was really one of the first roguelikes when i look back at it now you traverse across this uh island to find an elevator that will bring you up to the next island like above where you are and also you're looking for pieces of your spaceship and basically you just would play the game straight through find all the pieces to your ship and if you took off you win now, throughout it, you find these little presents. Each little present has silly things. Some could be like rocket skates, where the rocket skates can shoot you off the side of that island, which if you fall off, you fall down to the island below you. Uh, or it could be a thing where it's like tomatoes, where you're able to take tomatoes and, and kind of litter throughout the world or humans. Because in the end, you're actually playing on Earth. It's this very strange version of Earth. Um, but there's humans who are trying to always knock you off the island or hurt you and do damage because you do have a health meter. So like that, those tomatoes you found, you could throw at the the humans and stop them from doing that. It's it's one of those just charming games. I mean, it's very cool. They brought back one of the original creators of the game, Greg Johnson, came on to do this kind of as just a passion project, a labor of love uh, to those old Toe Jam Mineral fans. And uh, they actually made, there was Toe Jam Mineral 1. They made 2, uh, which was just... Uh, Panic and what's it called? Uh, Panic on Funkatron. 
I didn't like it. It was like they made it into a side scroller. And then there was actually a third one that I never played that came out uh, exclusively, I think, on Xbox. Um, but this is a throwback to that original game. And um, it's just one of those games that for me, just the nostalgia and just to support more ToJ Mineral. And it's a game I've been playing with my daughter. We've had so much fun playing it because it's just the humor that's there um, and just that, that 90s nostalgia that's in there, which we're going to talk about some 90s nostalgia in a little bit when it comes to Captain Marvel. Um, but it's it's just fun. So I, I don't know if I could really recommend it to, to people out there unless you have that nostalgia. If you just came to this as a brand new game. I don't know if you would like it. Playing it with my daughter, she enjoys it because I think she sees how much fun I have for it and how much, you know, I'm just enthusiastic about it, you know, and these characters. So um, she actually asked me the other day, like, Dad, did they ever make a Toe Jam and Earl cartoon? And I was like, no, but we went on YouTube and watched the old commercials um, they had back in the 90s. So uh, it's been fun playing with her. And I think if you've played those old games, you might get something out of it. But in terms of just, hey, um, you know, is Toe Jam and Earl for me? I've never played it before. Probably not for you. I, I think it might be something you might just want to just kind of hold off on. Uh, but it's cool. I, I'm, I'm glad to see them back, to see them back. And, and I'm playing it on the Switch. Uh, it's been fun playing it there, but it is available on PC, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, you name it. It's pretty much out there, except it's not on the Google Stadia. Not yet. But I'm, I, have a, I have a feeling at some point uh, it will be. Uh, but let's switch gears off of video games and let's talk about movies. Talking about 90s nostalgia, um, we're going to talk about Captain Marvel here a little bit. And I am going to keep this spoiler free. If you do want to hear me talk about everything that was in Captain Marvel and kind of the spoilerific uh, version of my review of this movie, go check out our episode of MCU Rewatch. I will put a link to that down in the show notes. If you're not familiar, I do a podcast uh, with Swain from Crucible Radio and Paris from Gamertag Radio. We do a podcast called MCU Rewatch. We've been every week breaking down a movie in the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, as we lead up to Avengers Endgame. We did a whole spoilerific episode about Captain Marvel. Check it out. Again, it's in the show notes. And go check out all the other episodes of MCU Rewatch uh, if you are a big Marvel uh, Studios, Marvel MCU fan, because we are breaking down every movie as we move towards that. But one minor spoiler thing I do want to talk about here, and it's literally the first thing you will see after you watch all the movie previews and all that, the trailers and all that, um, when you're sitting in the theater. So quick little spoiler alert, maybe fast forward like a minute and a half, two minutes. If you don't want to hear this, it really has nothing to do with the movie itself or stories. It's something that rolls right before the movie. Um, so again, you don't want to hear that quick little spoiler alert, but that is the Marvel Studios I don't even know, bumper, I guess is what we'll call it. That's pretty much run be between or before every movie up to this point. And they've added to it when they would put like Black Panther in there now and Ant-Man. And every time you go see the movie, it's like, oh, who's going to be in the Marvel Studios bumper this time? Well, this time it was all Stan Lee. And I got to be honest, and this is this is no joke. This is completely truthful. Like when they started rolling that Stan Lee role and they showed just different pictures of him through the years, whether it was just pictures from, you know, him actually um, just back in the 70s writing the comics. And then there were some shots of him from the movies with his cameos or shots of him um, just in, uh, you know, just on set. I literally teared up like it was just one of the most touching and just incredible things I think that they could have done. So kudos to Marvel for doing that, for Marvel Studios, for including Stan in that and just really acknowledging the impact that he's had on so many lives and really how the MCU would not exist if it wasn't for Stan. So just incredible. So be prepared if you haven't seen it yet. Get your Kleenex ready because it was just... God, it was so awesome. I had no clue that it was going to be coming. And I mean, I literally, you know, teared up in the theater. I mean, almost tearing up as I'm saying it now. And just the whole theater just cheered when it popped up on the screen. Oh, man, such a great moment. So I don't want to dwell on it anymore. And just real quick, spoiler, his scene in the movie, incredible. There's other things to talk about there. We'll, we'll go listen to our, our uh, spoilerific podcast. We dive into even his scene and that and kind of the impact on another person uh, in the world of comics and, and entertainment that it had. Um, if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. But all right, no more spoilers. Spoiler-free Captain Marvel. Overall, super fun movie. Super just amazing addition to the MCU. Her as a character is going to change things moving forward for sure um you've, i'm sure many of you have seen the trailer seen the previews just her abilities her powers 
no, who's going to stand up to Captain Marvel at this point, basically, in terms of the heroes that are in it? The only one I could really think of is Thor, essentially being that he is a god. But man, Brie Larson's just portrayal of Captain Marvel was just spot on, was perfect. She is the perfect actress to play her. Obviously, there was all kinds of negativity kind of leading into the movie coming out uh, with her. And, and, you know, throw all that aside. I mean, she's just she's the perfect person for it. Um, you know, Ben Mendelsohn uh, as the quote unquote villain. And, you know, I'm not going to give too much there. Um, amazing. Um, the tech for Samuel Jackson that they used to me, that was one of the most just the biggest takeaways for me from the movie. Just I, I was sitting there the whole movie every time he was on screen looking to see if I could see the CGI. And I mean, there was only one or two little tiny moments where I was like, oh, I could kind of see it in the mouth. Because that's what I've kind of noticed, especially going back and like rewatching Ant-Man. And you see Michael Douglas, his mouth just doesn't look right how they kind of de-aged him. Samuel Jackson looked like a young Samuel Jackson. Like it was perfect and it just makes me think i talked about this on the mcu show like moving forward with the mcu could we theoretically like we keep hearing about this was gonna that end game is gonna be you know chris evans last movie robert downey's last movie like they're done with their contracts but couldn't they just say you know what robert downey say you know what? i'm done being iron man i'm done being tony stark but you know what i will license you my likeness for the next 20 years for x amount of money and all they need to do is get somebody in there to play somebody that is essentially playing Tony Stark and they just layer Robert Downey's de-aged face or whatever onto that body. They proved it. Like if you look at, you know, this Disney, I'm sure they use the same tech that they used for Rogue One when it came to um, Tarkin and Princess Leia. And it looked pretty good then, but you could still kind of see it. But the way they did it with Sam Jackson, wow. Like just that, that gap of two years was incredible. Like the way they were able to push that forward. So... I think we're there, guys. Like, we might be able to say, you know, Tom Cruise, give your likeness. We're going to make Mission Impossible movies for the next 50 years, and you're the guy in those movies. But it's not really him. It's someone playing him, and they're using his likeness. Like, I remember there was some rumbling of that when the Rogue One stuff happened, and this proved it, that it is it is a future that we may be ready to get into, and Captain Marvel just, just shows it. Um, but uh, kind of get away from that, because, again, that was one of the most impressive things to me about it. Just uh, in terms of the movie... It's crushing it at the box office, rightfully so. Um, in terms of 90s nostalgia, which I talked about a little bit, um, it's just, this is really the first that I can think of 90s timepiece movie. Like I remember when The Wedding Singer came out in the, the 90s and it was an 80s timepiece movie. And I remember the kind of the, the talk around that of people saying like, guess we're there now. We're making 80s movies. Like how weird is that? We're in the 90s, we're making 80s movies. We're now in the 2000s. We're in the the 2000 teens. I don't even know what we call this um, part, but we're now making 90s movies. And for me, it was pretty nostalgic. The soundtrack, they're throwing in some Nirvana tracks. They're throwing in some No Doubt. Um, You know, at one point she's on a phone booth or in a phone booth and you see posters in the background for Smashing Pumpkins albums. And like all of that was really neat. It was fun. There's there's some nice little joke gags that they kind of throw in there using those those bits. I thought it was great. Now, when it comes to putting it in the pantheon of all the other 20, what is this, 21st, all the other 20 MCU movies, um, I don't know where it fits because for me personally, I think we talked about this on MCU Rewatch, but I think for me, it's kind of middle of the road, but that's not putting the movie down. It's just like there's so many other amazing movies in the MCU that I look at and just have that nostalgia for and that every time I watch them are just incredible. So like I would probably put this at like 10 or 11 for me when I stack everything else up against it. But again, that's not putting it down because the movie is fantastic. Like we want to go, I want to go see it again a second time in theaters. Like we want to go see it again. It's it's just awesome. And uh, I will say, I think it is definitely must see before Endgame. I think there's going to be things in Endgame from this movie um, that you're going to want to know. So if you uh, have any intention of going to see Endgame, make sure you see Captain Marvel ahead of time. The There's a mid-credit cut, uh, end scene and a final end scene after the credits you want to stick around for those as well uh one of them definitely is going to impact end game the other one just kind of fills in some gaps um but uh, overall very cool movie definitely check it out I, I think they knocked it out of the park and brie larson i can't wait to see what she's going to do here as the character of captain marvel moving forward 
as the MCU kind of gets over this end game. You know, where are we going in end game? I don't know. We're going to be talking about that. We had a new trailer. I'm not going to talk about that now because we're already kind of running long here. Uh, but maybe we'll talk about that because I am I mean, I am going to push a show out, I think, for next week on Tuesday, like normal. We'll kind of get back to track. Um, so maybe that'll give us something to talk about. Uh, since we, there may not be a lot happening between now and, and the time that episode comes out. Uh, but one final thing I do want to talk about kind of shifting gears off of movies is uh, a couple weeks ago, I talked about just kind of my love for Dragon Ball and talked about, um, I, I think I went to see Dragon Ball Super Broly, the movie that came out, and then just said how I loved, you know, Dragon Ball. I've been a fan for crap now, 20 years or whatever it is, just just loving the series, video games, the manga, the anime, everything about it. I just love it. And I got a bunch of messages from you guys. I, I don't have your names right next to me, but I appreciate every single one of you that sent it in saying, you know what, you like it, you need to check out One Piece. One Piece is the way to go. So I'd always been a little bit hesitant to check out One Piece because it's like just the pirate theme. I was kind of like, I don't know, is it really for me? So I watched a YouTube video. I don't even know the name of the video. And I was just like, it was just entitled something like, why watch one, why watch slash read one piece or whatever it was, something, something along those lines. Cause I was like, what is it about this series that people like? Do, are people really that into pirates? I didn't realize pirates were that big. Well, what it kind of went through was that, um, you know, uh, what's his name? Ichiro Oda, the, the author, um, really goes deep with his world and with his characters. And then it's not just this fun adventure with these, with these pirates on the swash, you know, a bunch of swashbucklers on the sea. It's that each villain and each setting they go to is just completely fully developed. And every villain has a reason for being villainous, if you want to say. Like when it comes to Dragon Ball, like you don't really know why these people always are the villains or really anything, right? You never get that backstory. Well, One Piece has been going on since 1997 and has pretty much never stopped the... The manga is on chapter 900 something, and each chapter is anywhere from 20 to 24 pages. A few of them are even longer than that, if they're like 40 pages. The anime is at like 800 something is the episode, and then that's always been my other hurdle as well. It's so just intimidating when you look at the amount of content. Well, I jumped in. It's been less than a week now. I jumped in. uh, It was probably like last Saturday, I think. Um, I went. If you go to the app store on whatever device you have, you can get into the Shonen Jump uh, app which they allow you to read um, different ser- series on there, like kind of their serialized series. You pay them two bucks, you get access pretty much to everything. I think they limit you to 100 reads a day, which I would never read 100 chapters in a day. Um, but I'm already now over chapter 60, and I just can't stop reading this manga. And I was kind of debating, do I want to do the manga or the anime? And I just knew like I could read the manga much quicker than I could watch the anime because, of course, each episode's 20 to 24 minutes, whatever it is. Take me forever to get through all those episodes. But... Now reading the manga, it makes me now want to jump into just certain episodes. Like, okay, well, let me. I'm reading the manga now. Let me go watch the anime and see. But the appeal has been, and I'm just going to give you like one example. There's one example from, and I guess it's a spoiler for early chapters of One Piece. But this is what the appeal, I think, to me of this series has been. And and I kind of get why people like it. And this is even early on. So I hear it gets even better. Because that's the thing. Like, the guy's been writing it for so long. Like you think of how the Walking Dead television series has gone on and even the comics, they're just repeating themselves now. Like what what potentially could they add to that? And that's always been a criticism of the Walking Dead. It's like, all right, well, who's the new faction we're going to fight? But what you hear about One Piece is that he's been able to keep it fresh this whole time. Some people say like the last year or two of, of One Piece has is the best it's ever been. So like for me as a reader now this early on is that's so exciting knowing that there's better stuff coming but okay let's get back to the example of what i want to talk about so this one the main character luffy in one piece he's he, he has eaten something called the devil fruit and he can stretch and the, it's kind of like dragon ball where it's always like we just gotta fight you know where he, his whole goal is he wants to be king of the pirates and you always find a pirate somewhere or someone that is the villain and they end up fighting which i mean it is a, a shonen manga that's how that is they're just it's always you just kind of gotta take it with a grain of salt and say okay that's what we're doing but the sky's the limit when it comes to One Piece because they're just out on this adventure coming across all these people. Well, they end up at this town. And really the reason for them going there is to find someone else to join their crew, essentially. And you do meet this character, Usopp, who becomes one of the crewmates at this point. Well, you find out that Usopp goes every day to this, he basically jumps over the wall to this giant mansion and talks to a character there, this this girl. 
who is bedridden, who is sick. And he just, he's a liar. Usopp is known for being a liar and telling tall tales. He's almost like Chicken Little saying that the sky is falling because he's always running through town every morning saying that pirates are coming. Well, he goes and every day tells this girl just a lie, kind of a, a grand tale, but it's really, the girl knows it's lies, but she just loves it because it's for her, it's kind of just letting her see the world through someone else's eyes. Well, she has a butler who's been her butler for three years because three years ago, her parents died. And he doesn't want Usopp there because he knows he's a liar. And so they, she, there's bodyguards at this mansion because she has a ton of money and they, they always run him off. And they, you know, that's a whole thing. Well, you end up finding out that this butler who's been there for three years is actually a pirate who left his crew so many years ago to say, I'm going to change my life and I'm going to go basically implant myself in this girl's life to win over her favor. Now, whether or not he actually specifically picked her out, I don't know. Because at one point they even say, like, at first I thought he killed her parents. But they kind of make it where he says at one point, like, I didn't even kill her parents. That just kind of happened to be. But he basically becomes this girl's butler, treating her in bed. So she creates a relationship with her, which even at one point through this little story arc, the butler is able to convince the girl that Usopp is lying because Usopp kind of realizes what's going on. But the whole plan for this pirate is to befriend this girl for these three years, get himself written into her will, and then murder her and have his all his pirates come back and they just take all the stuff and they leave. And it was just like, that's crazy. Like, I, I never would have thought anything like that. This unassuming butler in this house is really the villain of this whole thing. But then you even, then it even expands into you learn Usopp and the reason why he goes and tells these stories of pirates is because when he was a kid, his, his father left to go be a pirate on the high sea, but he didn't really, he just left because he was a deadbeat dad, but he's always hoping that pirates would, would, would come back. And then when he would hear that, that it might be his father coming back and he doesn't. And then his mom ends up dying and he just, his only way to hold on to just his reality of his childhood and the memory of his parents is, well, my mom's dead. I don't really know if my dad's dead. Maybe he's alive. And if I just say the pirates are coming and he goes, it's just, it's such a crazy thing that, that you look at one piece and it is just this kind of corn, I mean, I even say cornballish, but you look at it, it's just like this little, this manga for little kids. It's these little pirates running around. It's totally not. And so like, for, I just became invested and I, I get now why people get it. And I'm, like I said, I'm on like chapter 60 something and I'm reading it nonstop. And the cool thing about, and this, again, we're not sponsored by Shonen Jump, that app, but I'm reading it on my phone. I'm reading it on my iPad. I'm able to just jump in and, and read a little bit, read a quick chapter. Because that's the cool thing about mangas, which, you know, I look at a, a Marvel comic. It, for some reason, it just takes me longer to read those. And maybe it's because I'm looking at more of what's happening in the area. And, and mangas just seem to read quicker for me that I'm just kind of tearing through it. But um, I get it now. I get it. And, and you know, I then since I've started reading, I kind of went back and read more about Oda himself. You know, and he, I mean, he was like 17 or something when he started working uh, for Shonen Jump. I think he was like 19 when One Piece launched. So he's not really that old. He's only just a little bit older than me. Um, but like it was like perfect place at the perfect time. Like Dragon Ball had just ended. And One Piece launched its first chapter shortly thereafter. And he kind of has written Luffy, the main character, almost as a Goku-type character where he's very powerful as a fighter, but he's somewhat naive and kind of just goofy. And so that's just, you know, endearing and appealing as a reader. And then he's just surrounding himself by this crew who is so torn and conflicted themselves and have these just ridiculous backstories. And his goal is just a simple thing. He wants to be king of the pirate. And to do that... Um, you have to go out and find the one piece. And the one piece was there was a pirate who basically was going to be beheaded and said, I've left my treasure. It's the greatest treasure in the world. It's called the one piece. Good luck finding it. And so that's Luffy's goal. And so it's a simple goal. But then as the series progresses, there's so many layers on top of it. And I don't want to go too much into it because I know some of you probably don't care about it. But I will say... I would recommend if you're into any anime, specifically like Dragon Ball or any of those, I think you would really get a kick out of One Piece. The anime, I've only watched the first few episodes and then I just jumped right to the manga. Um, so my plan is, like I said, I think I'm going to read some of the manga and see some of these villains and these fights or things that happen and then maybe go watch like that episode or two just to see how it translated into the anime. Um, but I'd recommend it. Uh, if, if, you know, manga and anime is not your thing, this is not going to turn you, I don't think, at all. Um, but I think it's very neat that it's pretty accessible. I mean, our, our local library, I've talked before how I would go and uh, rent like comics and graphic novels from the library because our library is pretty well stacked with them. Um, they have a bunch of the one piece, but just to have it be available digitally for two bucks a month. I mean, that that's 
a hell of a deal, man. You spend two bucks, you basically get the whole thing of One Piece as well as all of Dragon Ball, all of, I think, Attack on Titan, Death Note, like all these things that Viz, the company that um, does it, like they're all out there. So you can read it all in there for two bucks. I mean, it's a hell of a deal. Again, not sponsored by the Shonen Jump app, but, um, you know, for, if you're into manga, I think it's a great way to uh, to read a lot of those and catch up on them. It's pretty neat. And on top of that, they release each chapter every week because it's still going. And this is One Piece as well as every other one completely free through the app so whether you pay the two dollars or not if you're caught up on one piece every week you can read the latest chapter for free through that app so i think that that's uh pretty neat that they do that so uh, all right well enough of my rambling here guys i know it's it's uh it's been a long couple weeks not doing the show and it felt good being back in, behind the mic you know again I, i'm so glad that so many of you came back and uh, tune back into the show. I'm sorry. I just just had a lot of things going on. I was just couldn't find the time. And, and you know, anytime I was kind of getting close to like maybe I could sneak one in now, I was just like, oh, something else would come up. But uh, the commitment is back. I'm here. We're going to be putting out episodes every week. I'm going to try to stick to the Tuesday schedule. We'll see. Um, just I think that was even part of it why I wasn't able to get an episode out. I may shift the show. I know for many of you out there that were the Guardian Radio listeners, Tuesday is the time that the show always dropped. So kind of in your podcast feed that you get every week of all the shows you listen to this show was kind of filling that gap um so we'll see i'm, I'm gonna try to keep it on tuesdays and try to try to keep it that route um i'm trying to think what else uh other than that you know again follow me on twitter at mark turk m-a-r-k-t-u-r-c email the show the enthuselife at gmail.com loved hearing from you guys uh even if it's just to say hey you know give me some feedback on the show or even if you got a topic you want me to talk about or just you know or do you do you read one piece are you playing the division what do you think of google stadia let me know i love reading that stuff uh and of course hit me on twitter with that and uh, if you do listen to the show uh, through iTunes or whatever service you use, please subscribe to it if you can. Leave me a review over there. It helps us keep continuing the show, moving up the ranks on that podcast service. And uh, other than that, guys, I appreciate it so much. So thank you, as always, for making me a part of your week, however you're tuning in, whether it's through iTunes or Podbean or your podcast service of choice. Thank you so much. And with that, we'll catch you next week. Later. <laughs>